Blog Talk Radio. Om Shabbat Shalom, Holy Way of the Most High. Om Shabbat Shalom, I sense your presence. Om Shabbat Shalom, Holy Way of the Most High. Om Shabbat Shalom, I sense your presence. And I am the light within your soul In the essence of truth and right Love makes the circle whole And here we stand in line Waiting for some sacred sign But to find the balance is the purpose of this time to restore the balance of the universal mind And in the presence of my Lord of light and love Everything I see aspiring to be free And when I call to thee And come on bending knee Surrender to the all-pervading light and love Reflections of the one surrounding me with love And I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence Within and without, above and below, yeah. East, west, north, and south, I sense your presence. Without and within, below and above, yeah, yeah. East, west, north, and south, I sense your presence. I sense your presence. For 
to find the balance is the purpose of this time to restore the balance of the universal mind I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence I sense your presence
moving forward with this. In my own work, what I do is I interpret a person's life codes to allow them to live a life filled with compassion. I've created the Genesis Clearing Statement. I've authored four books, the most recent being You, Me, Life Dreams and its companion workbook, and then my first two books, Activating Compassion and its companion workbook. And then I've also created what is now called the True North Tour, which is a multi-state nationwide tour, including workshops, retreats, seminars, book signings, and fundraising events. And I am on the fall portion of the tour right now. You can definitely follow all of these things, find out where I'm at, find out the dates, the times, the whole works, on my website, jessianniclesgeorgethenumberone.com. And just a reminder, if you do enjoy the show today, which I know you're going to, because this is going to be one of those shows that really will help a lot of people. So get out there, click the share button, and, you know, I find that when I do that, it always ends up changing a life. There's always somebody in need of the show that I shared. So you don't know. You might just save a life by clicking that share link today, (laughs) given our topic being anger. It's a big one. And they just use the same link to get into the archived version as you used to get into the live show today. They can listen to it at their convenience, or they can also catch it as a podcast on iTunes, TuneIn.com. And uh, then on my YouTube channel, I say, give me up to two weeks to get it up there. I don't anticipate it's going to be that long, but I always say it can take as long as that. So all of those great things are, are happening there for you. Now, those that have listened in before know that in starting out my show, I like to delve into a book called The 72 Names of God, Technology for the Soul by Yehuda Berg. And I love Yehuda's work. He he takes the big complex things, he puts them into everyday language, he makes them applicable in our own life. And I think that's really important when we're making the shifts and the changes and the transformations and we're dealing with different things in life that we feel like we can really apply them. So let's take a look and see what his message is. By the way, this message, as well as other things here on the show, are on my page of the Main Street Universe tab on my website. So you can always go back and reflect on it throughout the week as well. So the the name of God that we're dealing with this week, and of course it always fits in perfectly with my guest or my topic, is unconditional love. And the message that he gives preceding everything is a student once appeared, uh, I'm sorry, once approached a sage who was well-versed in the spiritual doctrines and mystical arts. He asked the master to teach him all the sublime secrets of life, to explain all the magnificent mysteries of the cosmos that are hidden in all the holy books. And he asked if all this could be done in the time that a person can remain balanced on one leg. The great sage carefully considered this request. He smiled warmly and replied, Love thy neighbor as thyself. All the rest is commentary. Now go and learn. The insight he gives on this is, loving our neighbors, or our enemies for that matter, has nothing at all to do with morals or ethics. Rather, Kabbalah teaches that love is a formidable weapon in furthering our own cause in life, which is simply to gain true joy and fulfillment. In other words, we benefit. Love is a weapon of light, and it has the power to eradicate um, all forms of darkness 
and that is the key. When we offer love even to our enemies, we destroy their darkness and hatred, which is the reason they became our enemies in the first place. What's more, we cast out the darkness inside ourselves, and what's left are two souls who now recognize the spark of divinely of divinity, excuse me, that they both share. And this name also awakens love for our self, friends, family, and self. After all, we can share only what we possess. Thus, we cannot love our neighbor or our spouse if we don't possess a love for our own self. Use this name to dissolve animosity and bitterness that might arise after an argument with loved ones. And the meditation he goes on to give with this is, like attracts like. By emulating the Creator's unconditional love for all humankind, you bring love into your own life. You create harmony between yourself and other people and between humanity and the natural world. So unconditional love is the name of God that we're working with this week. The formal name is Hey, Hey, I Am. Hey, 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 I Am, and it's unconditional love. And man, what a powerful tool that is. I've been using a lot of that in my life, particularly over the last few months, and it works miracles. There's no doubt about it. Now, a little thought here before we go on break and bring our guest on today. And this will kind of get your mind going in the direction of our topic. So it'll it'll give you a couple of points to ponder um, before we bring our guest on. Have you had times that your anger got the best of you? And have you found yourself reacting in a rage that perhaps you didn't even know where it came from? And have you experienced others that have a hard time communicating without anger or rage? This is a big one for many, as anger is often one of the hardest things for humans to deal with. I have seen even many spiritual people who go into rages, even if it is from the passion that they feel for their so-called mission. Sadly, this is like fighting more with more war and seems to only end up fueling the flames in the long run. Now, I, I admit that anger was one of my challenges to overcome in this life, and when I was younger, I easily reacted to things that were not going my way or uh, took a turn that I didn't like, that they went in that direction. And, you know, heaven be, woe, woe be the boyfriend <laughs> that overstepped their bounds or disrespected me in some way, you know. It, it was probably like unleashing the furies or energies of Pandora's box for them. And I really don't know how or why some of them put up with me as long as they did. So many times I've seen anger come out unintentionally, such as a mother that gets upset because something their child did scared them. Or perhaps they just had a rough day at the office and couldn't handle coming home to a mess. It is easy to get caught into these reactive spaces, but not always so easy to get out of them. The tornado has swept through and the damage is done, oftentimes before we realize what we've done. And the wounds and scars can remain long after the initial words are said. In my life, I've known families that thought yelling at each other was communication. They didn't even realize they were yelling most of the time 
because that is how they have always been. Most likely, the example came from what they observed as children. So many things can trigger anger, and usually it stems from fear, a low self-esteem, or pain and frustration of something not being the way we would like it to be. Perhaps it's a combination of all of these things, since they are easily interwoven with each other. It takes practice to learn to take that deep breath and step away until we can discuss things in a calmer manner, receptive to what the other person has to share and willing to look beyond our judgment to get to the truth of things. Janet Pfeiffer is one person that helps people with dealing with their anger, and she has been through a great deal personally in this area and has seen how it can tear people apart, sometimes to what appears as a point of no return. She opens people to looking at things differently, and helps them learn to communicate in ways that diffuse anger. One of my favorites that she uses is that of depersonalization. And this is where we address the concern for itself and without using things like you, which can personalize the situation. So instead of saying you did this to me, we will say something like, when this happens, it triggers this to happen with me, or I feel this. I see two fantastic things in this process, which is being accountable for our own response and removing blame and accusation. And this leaves us a foundation of safety to have a conversation from where we can learn to relate to others better and them to us. What experiences have you had with anger? Do you have tools that work for you when anger escalates or to help you stay out of it or How do you deal with others when they get angry? The code for this week asks us to find ways to deal with those that are unreliable, who quarrel with us, and that deceive us, with or without being intentional. It is important that you don't engage in battles just because trouble is brewing or others are pushing your buttons. Instead, realize that these situations are there to help you grow, to show you where you still have more work to do, and to see if you are willing to walk your talk. This is a time to take charge of you and your life instead of letting your life run you. Ask yourself where you need to create balance. Are you working too much? Are you busy engaging in battles that drain your energy instead of taking care of you? It is okay to go within instead of engaging in battles with others. Give yourself a time out if needed. Going into spaces of anger at this time will only bring bigger issues to deal with. The key is finding harmony and compassion for what is irritating you. I'm going to take a short break, and when we return, I'll be sharing with you the codes. Uh, I will be sharing with you those codes. I did that last week. I'm going to have our guest Janet Pfeiffer with us when we return. And the song I've got for you during our break is called Ten Commandments. It's by Claire Hedin. And if you'd like to find out more about Claire's work, check out more of her music, you can certainly do so on her website, which is www.clairehedin.com. That's C-L-A-R-E-H-E-D-I-N.com. And we have this song, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thing you have made, you shall not cover any 
letting us use her music here on the show. Now, today I'm going to be, um, I have with me Janet Pfeiffer, and she is an international inspirational speaker and award-winning author, is a Fortune 500 consultant, globally syndicated radio host uh, with Anchor 9-11 and a TV personality. Uh, She's been with CNN, Fox News, Lifetime, ABC News, and more. She's a New Jersey State certified in domestic violence issues and works with battered women. She specializes in healing anger and conflict and creating inner peace. She's also a contributor to the Dr. Phil Show and an instructor at County College of Morris. Janet is also a registered provider for the New Jersey Education Association, and Janet is the author of eight books, that's right, eight of them, including the highly acclaimed The Secret Side of Anger, and her latest, The Great Truth. You can learn more about her work through her website at www.pfeifferpowersseminars.com, and that's P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R-P-O-W-E-R-S-E-M-I-N-A-R-S.com, and You know, for those tuning in, yes, I have a little allergy thing happening, so I might sound a little more nasally than normal um, from what you're you're hearing. But I've got this mic opened up now. And, Janet, welcome to Code Connection. It's so great to have you here. Oh, thanks, Jesse. It's a thrill to be with you. Thank you for having me on as your guest. You know, I know that we've connected and, and... uh, you know, I've, I've had a chance to talk with you in the past, and I'm actually not too far away from where you are <laughs> at this point. Oh, awesome. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm on tour broadcasting from the Washington, D.C. region right now, and um, so I'm actually not, not too far away from where you are. I think I'm going to be passing right by you <laughs> as I head up to Boston soon. So, but, Well, uh, that would be wonderful. Maybe we could actually get together and meet each other in person. Well, that just might be a possibility. I might I might work that out. We'll have to talk afterwards and see. <laughs> okay, sounds good, sounds good. You know, I, I would love to have you start off because, I mean, you have so much in your background and such a wealth of wisdom to share. I would love to have you start off by sharing a bit about your journey of what brought you into this? Because you've, you've done a lot of things that a lot of people don't get to do in life. Yeah, some good, some not so good. <laughs> um, I actually, you know, what's really interesting, Jesse, is ever since I was a young child, I've always known that I was put on this earth to be a peacemaker. I was the kid in elementary school who, when the boys were fighting out on the playground, I'd go out there and tell them that they had to get along to stop fighting. It always bothered me when people didn't get along with each other. And I was pretty much trained by, very well by my mother Um, to promote peace wherever I went. She was a very, very peaceful person, always forgiving people who did foolish things, and she never held grudges and things like that. But I was also never allowed to express my anger. I was never allowed to express any emotion really other than happy. In fact, I mentioned that in The Secret Side of Anger. I say that, you know, I was allowed to express two feelings, happy and happy. That was it. You know, if you were angry or upset or sad, it just wasn't acceptable when I was a child. So I really learned to suppress all of my emotions, which is not a healthy thing to do. 
And then when I was uh, in my early 20s, I got married, and shortly after my husband and I got married, we had children, and had four children within five years, and the stress and the, uh, the other issues that I was dealing with really brought me to this boiling point, and then my anger started coming out on my children. And I, I knew that I was hurting them. I had a lot of guilt and shame over the way I was handling myself. And so then I went back to suppressing it. And then many years later, my marriage actually ended. And years after that, I met somebody. We fell in love. We got engaged to get married. And then he became an abuser. And so it was during that period of time that my life really changed dramatically because I decided to get into therapy to learn about his rage with the intention of being able to help him. And what I learned was about my own anger, and it totally transformed who I am. I finally, for the first time in my life, understood what was behind all of this anger and rage that I was feeling inside. And once I learned that and I learned how to heal it, then all of a sudden doors began to open for me. And I, I, I look back and I understand that this was all brought about through divine intervention. God had a plan for me. He knew exactly where he wanted me to be in life. And I had to go through all of these experiences with my own anger and then somebody else's in order to fully understand the scope of what I was dealing with and to find that peace, to learn how to create that peace within myself so then I could take what I learned and share it with others. And that was back in the early 90s. I had my first children's book published, and as a result of going into a school as an author, um, I was asked by the principal of the school if I could do a training for his staff on anger. And I said, of course. And <laughs> that was the beginning of a whole new career for me. Um, and I just began sharing everything that I had learned in my own life, everything that I had experienced, everything that I had mastered and overcome. And, and the transformation that I went through is what I brought with me into every one of my lectures and workshops. And I've been doing this now for over 20 years. I, I find this so interesting because you do bring up that point where, you know, so many times we hear, oh, if you're just – you know, stay on the positive side, you won't have all these issues and things like that, but you bring in a whole new light of what happens if we're forced to be there and not address the other emotions in life. And I think that's really uh, an important thing that, you know, it's one thing to be positive on a regular basis and consistently and all that, but not at the expense of feeling the emotions that are coming through. Um, right, so and I think what I what I have learned too, Jesse, is that every emotion has purpose and value. You know, we assign value to them by saying, you know, anger is bad and joy is good and love is good and hatred is evil. And so we assign different values to all of these emotions when really they're just messengers. They come into our life because 
they help us to fully understand who we are. Why am I reacting? Why am I jealous that, you know, my coworker got a promotion over me? What does that reveal about me? That jealousy is here to teach me something about myself. Am I insecure? Do I not feel confident about myself? Once I get that message, I can work on my internal issues and resolve them. And then when I see somebody get a promotion, I feel joy for them instead. But I have to experience that jealousy in order to learn about myself. So every feeling that we have, anger included, is an important part of our life. And we can't deny these emotions because they don't just go away on their own. We have to, you know, acknowledge them. We have to spend time with them to understand what is this here to teach me. And once I understand that, then I can heal that issue and then that emotion, you know, dissipates. I find it interesting because I always like to pull some keywords that people mention and look at the codes very quickly on them as best I can. I can't, you know, totally look (laughs) at every detail, but pull some little tidbits. You refer to yourself in your introduction as a peacemaker. And peacemaker, the way it codes out, uh, is all about commanding power, taking charge, using the productive intellect, uh, and generating uh, a positive or abundant state of being. And then when we look at the codes that run on anger, Anger actually codes out in a way that it sets us up for danger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we look at that, it's like bringing our own risky situations. It sets us up to have accidents when we're operating under that flow of anger. Uh, so I always little tidbits interesting. I like to throw them in there. But right. Uh, well, 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 I I agree with that, Jesse, because anger is such a powerful emotion. And what happens is when you are acting on emotion, you're not acting from a rational perspective. Emotion clouds rational judgment. You know, and we see that all the time, whether the emotion is a what we label a positive one or a negative one. And, you know, we hear stories all the time about people who win the lottery and what do they do? They're so ecstatic. It's like, that's it, I'm buying everybody a brand-new car. And they go crazy and then all of a sudden realize that, you know, there's a downside to all of that as well. So we're not using our intellectual, rational brain when we're running on intense emotion, which is why it's critical to, when we feel that anger come up, to stop and give ourselves time to process it and understand it before we respond to it. And in that way, then, we make, you know, healthier decisions for ourselves and for those around us. And, and that is a, a really important thing because it, it, I find that a lot of times anger comes out because of something that we're reacting to. We're not stopping mm-hmm. and looking at it from our elevated self, so to say, in that moment, our divine God essence self. We're just reacting. Something has pushed a button with us. And um, so I, th- I think this is big. What does anger tend to be all about then? Is it is it just about that emotion, that raw emotion that just supersedes the moment? 
No, well, uh, there are a couple of things that I would really like your listeners to understand about anger, and, and it's really simple, and once they get this, it's going to change how they perceive things and how they respond to it. Anger is what I call a secondary emotion, and by that I mean that we experience anger after we experience one of the primary or root causes, of which there are only three. You mentioned before you actually brought me on air that there's a lot of things that trigger our anger, and there are. There are thousands, probably millions of things that could trigger our anger. A driver cutting us off on the highway, a friend breaking a promise to us, somebody criticizing us. These are the triggers, but they're not the causes. What happens is... These external occurrences trigger one or more of the three root causes inside of us, and those causes are hurt, fear, and frustration. So all of our anger really is coming from one of those sources. If somebody criticizes me and it hurts me, I may lash back at them. Like, who are you to criticize me? You ought to be looking at yourself. You know, and that becomes a defense mechanism because I feel as though that person has wounded me. And that, that hurt indicates that I need to work more on my self-esteem because once I truly know myself and I feel comfortable with who I am, then somebody else's opinions or perceptions of me don't cause me pain. They allow me, I have, the, I have the ability to look at them objectively and say, well, maybe there is some truth to what they're saying. Maybe, you know, I am lazy or, or maybe I can be a little sarcastic. Maybe I need to take a look at that about myself. So it's really important to get to the root cause of why we're angry. Am I hurt by something that has happened or something that somebody said? Am I frustrated? Frustration is all rooted in the need to control. We have expectations of what we want, of, of the way we think things should, should be, of the way we think people should behave. And when those expectations aren't met, we feel powerless. We feel frustrated because we can't make somebody be the way we want them to be. We can't get that person to agree with us. We can't, you know, get something to change. We can't change the economy or change the climate of our country or we can't change the nature of our family. So we feel as though we have no power. We're frustrated. And so we become angry. We go on a rant. We go on a rage. And that gives us that sense of authority that now that I'm good and angry, people are going to pay attention. People are going to do what I tell them to do. Otherwise, there's going to be a, you know, a hefty price for them to pay. And then the third root cause is fear. You know, we worry about things um, because, again, we feel as though we have no control over our circumstances. We project the worst that could possibly happen, which typically doesn't. Um, and, we're, and we're afraid of how that's going to impact us. You know, what's going to happen if I lose my job? I can't pay my bills. I'm going to lose my home. You know, what happens if my husband dies or one of my children gets killed in a car accident? We project a lot into the future, which causes this anxiety, uh, which then converts into anger. But fear really is just a lack of faith in God. When you, when you trust in God, you know that bad, quote-unquote, bad things can happen in our lives. Again, we just, you know, we assign value to everything, but things happen in life. Whatever happens, when you have that faith in God, you know that you will be able to get through it, and you also know that God will give you the understanding as to why that 
you know, is a part of your life's journey and what it is you're supposed to do with it. So the key then really for anyone who experiences anger is to get right to the root cause. What am I really feeling? Am I feeling hurt? Am I feeling fear? Or am I feeling frustration? Address those issues, get those resolved, and the anger never manifests. This is really, I think, some excellent point for people to keep in mind because a lot of people, I think, experience frustration, especially those people who maybe have, you know, started journeying on their path and they're doing work on themselves and and um, don't always make that connection to the frustration being anger and don't always make the connection that's rooted in control as opposed to mm-hmm. trust, uh, mm-hmm. trusting in the and the processes or uh, or even just trying to awaken us to say maybe you need to look at a different direction uh, of things along the way. Um, so I, I find that, that these are great things and that sense of power, powerless, I have to say that's got to be, you know, very strongly rooted across the board because when we stand in our power, we have nothing that we fear. When we're truly standing in that divine grace, so to say, you know, we're not um, we're not hurting and we're not frustrated uh, because we're coming from looking at things in in that divine light uh, aspect. Right, and and that's the thing, you know, we we have this vision of what we think our life is supposed to look like. And as long as everything goes according to our plans, we're fine. But the minute something is disrupted, again, that feeling of powerlessness, that's the very definition. I mean, if you look up the word anger in the dictionary, it says feeling of discomfort or displeasure brought about by feelings of helplessness and powerlessness. And the thing is, is that people want to be able to control. They want to be able to control others, even though they say they don't, they really do. (laughs) Anybody who's not complying with what I think they should be or the way I want things to go, I want to be able to control them. I I want to tell them what to do, and I want them to do it. So we want to be able to control those around us. We want to be able to control our environment and our circumstances, but control is an illusion. We have no ability to control anything external. I can influence the world around me. I cannot control it because every human being has free will. So people are going to make their own decisions. You know, I I may agree with you. I may decide to do what you ask me to do, but I may choose not to. So you don't have the ability to control me. But, that, again, that's all rooted in fear. When you reach the point in life where you understand that everything, every single thing that enters your life is exactly what you were meant to experience at that exact moment, then you don't need to control anything because you have that faith of knowing that if something comes into my life, it is here for a reason. I'm either supposed to learn from it, I'm supposed to use it maybe to assist others or for my personal growth, or maybe it's meant to redirect the course of my life. Everything shows up for an intended purpose. And when I understand that, I can relax, I can be at ease, I can learn to just go with the flow and not resist the natural course of my life. 
and it's so much easier to live that way. And then you you don't put yourself at risk for being angry because this didn't work out. I wasn't supposed to be here. I wasn't supposed to go through a divorce, or I wasn't supposed to end up on the unemployment line. If that's where I am, that's exactly where I need to be. Let me figure out what I'm supposed to learn and what I'm supposed to do with this now. You know, I, I think some of the triggers that happen unconsciously with this process that you're talking about it has to do with a couple of factors. One, we're programmed that you must be in control of your life, particularly men. Mm-hmm. Yep. You must control everything, and there's a lot of cultures, religions, whatever, that you must control your women, and you must control this, and you must control that. So there's a lot of programming that goes on that says you're not strong, you're not worthy, you're not this if you're not in control. And then there's another big piece that I see in this, which has to do with trusting ourselves. And most people have had so many decisions made for them, they don't trust their own decision-making process that they can choose and choose and keep choosing to not have to control or to not be involved in those control patterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think people are so afraid of making mistakes. I think that has a lot to do with it as well. They have to control, you know, what's going on around them. They have to be able to make the decisions that are going to be what they consider to be the right decisions because there's so much shame associated with making mistakes. People feel like failures. They feel like losers. They're, they're at risk for being criticized, you know, by others. And yet, for me, a mistake is simply a necessary step to bring you closer to achieving your success. So it's all a necessary part of the process. But, but you're right. I think people feel like they have to be in control because they have to make things work out according to their plans rather than say, you know what, it, it is a sign of great, I think, courage to be able to let go and allow things to unfold naturally and then figure out what you're supposed to do with it rather than always having to be in charge of every decision. You know, I've I've worked with that a lot, particularly this year <laughs> and maybe particularly <laughs> over the last few months of where, you know, something didn't go in the direction I wanted them to go and I was having to face some fears along the way and various feelings and emotions and I said, you know what, I'm just going to let go. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just mm-hmm. going to let go and <laughs> And those types of emotions really exhaust you. Uh, yes. The frustration really exhausts you. So when you when you kind of just ease into it and say, okay, well, this is where things are at. No matter how they got here, this is where they're at. What am I going to do with this right now? I can enjoy and it. That's, I can- that's a key. You know, that's really a key question that really empowers you. Because, you know, I've been through a lot. There was a lot that I didn't share with you about things that I've been through in my life. But people have asked me when I go into detail and I tell them everything, 
people will often ask me, well, you know, haven't you ever been, like, bitter or resentful over everything? Like, did you ever ask God, like, why me? Why is all this stuff happening to me? And I said, the interesting thing is, no, I have never once said to God, why me? Why is all this stuff happening to me? My question has always been, what is it that you want me to do with this? When I went through my divorce 34 years ago, my husband unexpectedly just packed his things and moved out one day and left me with four young kids and, and no income. And I was, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. But I didn't say to God, why me? You know, why are you putting me through this divorce? I said, what is it that you want me to do with this? And God made it very clear exactly how I was to handle things. And, you know, and that's a process. Sometimes the answers don't come to you immediately. Sometimes they, you know, kind of have to unfold naturally. But um, when you you harbor, you know, resentment or bitterness or self-pity, I mean, you're setting yourself up for misery when you can appreciate everything that comes into your life, regardless of whether or not society thinks that it's something bad that has happened. When you can look at everything and appreciate it, then what you experience is a sense of gratitude and joy, not anger and resentment. I mean, that's all a personal choice, and it's all based on your perception, how you choose to look at the things that come into your life. You can look at everything as a blessing or you can look at at things as a curse. And I choose to look at things as a blessing. I choose to be happy and joyful in my life. I don't particularly feel like being angry. I went through enough of that. You know, it's, it's not a pleasant place to be. And even though it has its purpose and there are still moments when I feel angry, I don't let it consume me the way that it used to. I always want to get back to that place of peace, and serenity and joy. That's my natural state of being, and that's where I want to reside. And for the most part, that's where I am. And and I kind of subscribe to a theory of, you know, it's always my choice when my triggers are pushed, Mm -hmm. and it's up to me what space I'm going to be in, how I'm going to deal with it. And I know through my own codes that one of the things I have to do is step back and observe. Shut my mouth for a minute, step back and observe. Mm-hmm. And um, and then when I do that, I oftentimes will see much more of what's happening and what's going on and be able to get back into my heart space um, from that. So I think that, you know, that's yeah, it, it's a choice and say, you know, really, am I going to let this ruin my day? Am I going to repeat this pattern or am I going to stop this pattern now and choose a different course of action? And, right, um, and, that's, and that's so critical because here's the other thing I would love for people to understand about anger. We mistakenly believe that other people have the ability to push our buttons and make us angry, but that's a myth. Nobody has the power to make us feel anything because every emotion that we experience actually comes from our own thought process. So I can look at, and I I love to give the example of drivers at tailgate because we all run into them. I live in New Jersey, and and we are like the we are the capital of traffic. I mean, no matter where you go, I can't pull out of my driveway without being in traffic. Um, But we always have those drivers that end up tailgating us, and I can look at that driver, and I can think to myself, 
who the heck does this guy think he is? How dare he ride my bumper? Like, he thinks I'm going to move over for him? I don't think so. So it's, it's my own thoughts. It's my internal dialogue that is causing me to become angry and arrogant and self-righteous. But I can change all of that simply by changing my thoughts. I can look at that driver in my rearview mirror and say, hmm, maybe this guy's late for an important appointment. Maybe he's rushing to the hospital, just got a call that his child was hurt in a bicycle accident. You know, I can just change the way I think, and that changes how I feel instantly. So I create my own anger. It's really not coming from anything external. It's coming from the thoughts that I form about the experience that I'm having or the individual that I'm encountering at that moment. So I choose anger or not. I can choose to be understanding rather than arrogant. I can choose to be compassionate rather than judgmental. It's all a matter of my own perception and my own thought process. That's where we, that's the only area of our life that we have full control over is our thoughts. And that's the most powerful tool that we have because every thought that we have generates an emotion and we act out what it is we feel. All of our, all of our behaviors, all of our choices are based on our emotional environment. So every choice that I make in my life is an emotional one. That's why, you know, when you, when you see commercials on TV, I mean, they're all – Every commercial is created to evoke a feeling in a person, you know, uh, because we, we buy based on feeling. We don't buy necessarily based on logic. It's how I feel when I see that car, you know, in that, in that commercial, or I see that food product or that hairstyling gel. You know, if it, if it evokes a, a, a good feeling inside of me, then I act on that. So that's why it's so critical to pay attention to what we're saying to ourselves in the moment because th that thought process is creating our, our emotions and our feelings, and that's what causes us to say or act out whatever it is we do. Yeah, and, and I agree with that so much. Uh, it, um, it always is coming back around to the emotion. And, and I know that some of this takes practice uh, for people that, that deal with anger. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've kind of come to learn that if it's triggering me, it's my lesson to get, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It, it's my trigger. It's my thing. It's, you know, not necessarily that person. It's, it's my lesson because I'm the one being triggered by it. And, and people have asked me, how do you know whether it's them or whether it's you? And I said, because if you're the one getting triggered, it's your lesson. Uh-huh, absolutely, yes. always. And the other piece that I see is I always, I, I, I've gotten to a point now where I, I see other people as a catalyst. I don't believe that anybody's true intention is to hurt or to harm us, um, but they serve as a catalyst, oftentimes unaware, for us to get a lesson or to understand something. Janet? 
Senate. Okay, I'm not hearing Janet. Um, and hopefully everyone can hear me. <laughs> Janet, are you there? Okay, give us just a minute. It seems like uh, we've had a little bit of technical difficulty here. And um, it looks like she'll be calling back in here in a minute or coming through here in a minute. So hopefully she can hear me. In the meantime, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Activating Compassion, or not Activating Compassion, it used to be Activating Compassion. And um, let's see here. Let's see what happened here. Janet? Yes. Jesse, can you hear me? I can hear you. I don't know. We had a funky little uh, technical difficulty there. And <laughs> a little hiccup, right? <laughs> it was very strange. All of a sudden, you're, everything popped over in the system here, and it told me you dropped, but you were still showing here. <laughs> so I'm glad yeah, you're still here. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it just went dead, but I'm still here. I'm still alive and well. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So, so um yeah, I guess that's one of those things that I don't believe that anybody is truly out to harm us. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're dealing with their own issues that are going on. They're a catalyst, I think, oftentimes for us to understand a lesson or to, I now like to look at it as an opportunity to grow and develop and to overcome something that I haven't mastered yet. And and here's the beauty of, of that understanding is that then you don't become angry with the other person for triggering in you whatever it is because you understand that it's already in you. They're just bringing it to the surface, and now that gives you a great opportunity to look at it, to address it, to see if it's anything that needs your attention. And if it does, then you can put in the work and if it's an issue that's been problematic for you, it's an opportunity now for you to heal that issue so then it you know, then you can be at peace with it. So anytime somebody activates something within us, it's really important to just appreciate that opportunity and to understand too that even with people who are behaving, you know, in a way that we would classify as bad, you know, uh, somebody who maybe who is being rude or disrespectful or arrogant or hateful, whatever it is, um, that their behavior is never, ever, ever about us. Behavior is simply an outward expression of our internal environment. So, again, we act out what is within us. So if I'm if I'm cursing at you, if I'm, you know, criticizing you or saying hateful things to you, it has nothing at all to do with you. That's a reflection of what's going on inside of me. And when people fully understand that, then what the other person is saying or doing doesn't hurt them. It doesn't have an impact on them because you can train yourself to just observe that objectively and not assign any type of feeling to it so i don't because you're acting out i don't have to get upset about it i can remain emotionally detached from that and in that way just observing i can learn and then i can choose an appropriate response if in fact i want a response i mean i can always choose to just walk away and not deal with it but i don't have to allow it to trigger any type of 
you know, hurt or anger or anxiety inside of me. It, I can remain calm and, and thoughtful through this whole process. And I, I think, too, that kind of comes full circle around to what you mentioned before, which is if we keep in mind where anger is coming from, which you said comes out of hurt, fear, or frustration, then, you know, as a compassionate person, we would then look at it and realize they're either afraid, they're hurting, or they're Mm -hmm. frustrated about something. Absolutely. And that's the beauty is because now you know how to respond to them. You don't address the anger. Like when I have clients... I never talk about, and I get a lot of uh, people referred to me through the courts, you know, people that are court-ordered to take anger management or couples that are fighting and stuff like that. I never even address the anger with them. I always get right to the root cause. Well, gee, you sound frustrated. Or what are you worried about? Or did somebody say something that really hurt you? That's what we address. So when you're dealing with somebody who appears to have anger issues, but you understand it has nothing at all to do with anger, then you kind of, what I do is I, I say, like, I come in through the back door. I address the underlying root causes. People are much more open and much more comfortable talking about, you know, worry and anxiety and fear or talking about frustration. Those emotions aren't quite as um, frowned upon as anger is. So if you address them and say to somebody, gee, you you really sound frustrated, you know, yeah, of course I'm frustrated. My God, I've been working so hard on this and everything's going wrong. Well, now you can address the frustration. And then once you do that, the anger just dissipates. It never manifests. So, um, you know, whether you're dealing with your own anger or somebody else's, understanding the root causes help you to take a completely different approach to it. I I love that you deal with that root cause because too many times we're just looking at the surface of things. You know, it's it's like the the plant whose leaves aren't flourishing and we're so busy saying there's something wrong with the leaves, there's something wrong with the leaves, and we haven't looked at the soil and the nutrients that it's getting and what's happening at the roots of it because it's what's happening at the roots of that plant that's causing the leaves to be brown. Um, or to make that shift in there. Yeah, absolutely. So. And if you don't, if you don't get to the root, <laughs> you know, of that plant, then you can't correct the the issue. It's you know, it's like a doctor. Would you go to a doctor that only treats symptoms, or would you go to one that gets to the root cause of it? You want to find out why did I get this illness, or you know, what is this skin you know condition coming from? You don't just want somebody who gives you a topical treatment cream and says, here, use this, and, you know, hopefully it'll clear it up. Well, but where did it come from? That's what we want to know. So, And this is the same thing. And when you understand that, and, I, and you know, this does take practice, I have to say, because you mentioned that before, that, you know, this, this is a whole new way of looking at things, and it does take a conscious effort. But I will tell you that once I started getting into this and once I really started paying attention to myself, and I understood, you know, when I was dealing with frustration and when I was worried about something or fearful of something, I was able to address that. And it, it, 
now it's just like second nature. If I if I find that anger is being triggered, I immediately get right to the root cause. I know how to address that and heal those, and then the anger doesn't ever surface. So, again, it it it's a whole new understanding. It's a whole new way of looking at things. But once you master it, it makes your life so much easier because now you get to choose whether or not the situation is even worthy worthy of becoming angry about. There's so much in life that we get angry and upset about that I, I use I have this ten year rule that I gauge everything by. I ask myself, will I even remember this situation in ten years? You know, in ten years will I still be angry about it? if the answer is no, then why am I upset now? It's not that important. If ten years from now it's not gonna matter or I won't even remember it, then it's not important. So I may address it but I don't have to become angry and upset about it. So important to take that approach and, and to work with kind of reshifting our, our thoughts and, and what we've been programmed with. Um, but it, now, are there different types of anger? Uh, I think most people, they just lump everything into one category and just call it anger. Well, I think there's different levels of intensity, um, something that I call the three A's of anger. The mildest form of anger is when we're annoyed. You know, something begins to bother us. Um, you know, you can't find the sweater that matches the pants that you wanted to wear today. And so we, we find ourselves becoming mildly annoyed at something. If we don't address it at that moment, it can intensify. And then it goes into the second stage, which is anger, where now maybe I'm, you know, I'm huffing and puffing and I'm complaining and I'm, you know, getting myself all worked up. If I don't address that, it can easily go into the third stage, which is aggression. And that can be either verbally attacking somebody or physically uh, assaulting someone or throwing something or punching a wall. It can be, you know, it can become a physical or verbal act of aggression against another person or an object. So I don't know so much that there's different types of anger, but there's definitely different intensity, uh, intensity levels of it. So obviously it's much easier to address something when it's in the milder stages. So I always tell people that as soon as you find yourself becoming upset about something, in fact, there's a strategy that I, that I created that is in the secret side of anger, and it's called the SWAT strategy. And SWAT stands for stop, walk, and talk. You know, they used to tell us that when you get angry, stop and count to ten. But you can count to ten really fast. <laughs> the anger is still there. It hasn't really gone away. But the SWAT strategy gives you the opportunity to process it. So um, stop, walk, and talk. The minute you find yourself becoming upset, you stop whatever it is you're doing. If you're having a conversation with someone and you're getting frustrated because you're disagreeing and you just can't come to a resolution, stop the conversation. If you're working on a project and things just aren't fitting together properly or you don't have everything that you need, stop working on it. The minute you stop, you can't cause the situation to escalate anymore. The second step is to physically walk away. You know, if I'm talking to my husband and we're trying to decide how we're going to, 
you know, redecorate, you know, one of the rooms in our house and we don't agree on anything and I'm really getting frustrated with them. Well, I need to stop that conversation. Now I need to physically walk away. So you give yourself a little bit of distance between you and the other person or you and the project that you're working on. And the third step, which is critical, which is talk. And that's self-talk. Again, this goes back to what I was saying about our thought process, that internal dialogue. You can either talk yourself calm or you can talk yourself into a frenzy. So what I say to myself during that period when I'm alone is either going to allow me to calm down. If I say things like, oh, my God, my husband is so annoying, like he just doesn't get it, like he has the worst taste, I can't stand him anymore. I'm getting myself more agitated. But if I say to myself, well, look, it's his house too. He has just as much right as I do to be comfortable in it. This isn't a matter of life or death. I'm sure we can find a you know, reasonable solution. Then I'm calming myself down. And once I've calmed down, then I can go back and address the issue and try to get it resolved. So it's a really simple process. Stop, walk, and talk and it will prevent any situation from escalating to the point where it becomes damaging or even dangerous. I've used this. In fact, I used this. I developed this strategy long before I ever even got into this line of work. When I, I, as I had mentioned, I, when my children were young, I was taking my anger out on them, and I was so, I was so ashamed of what I was doing that I, I just, came up with this whole process of of stopping what I was doing, and I would physically remove myself. I would go into another room. I would close the door. I would tell them not to bother me, and I would stay in that room until I calmed myself down because I didn't want to hurt them. And I, I have found for myself and for people who have also practiced this technique is that it works 100% of the time. So it gives you the opportunity then to avoid causing any damage or causing any harm to yourself or to anybody around you or to personal property. It's just very, very simple. I've taught this to four- and five-year-old children, and I've taught it to adults, and I use it all the time. Stop, walk, and talk. It doesn't get any simpler than that. It, It doesn't, and it is a very simple thing, and I've known many times when I've had a lot of emotion going through me, no matter what the emotion was, that I would go for a walk and mm-hmm. and just things work through. So it is definitely a powerful tool and and that's you know, that's definitely a great option for diffusing our own anger. Is there a way that we can diffuse somebody else's anger? Well, um there are a few things. One of the things is that When somebody else is becoming angry and upset and you find that maybe they're becoming, and I I don't want to use the word abusive, but they may be becoming aggressive, you know, in some way, um, you have a right to set boundaries with that person. So you can say to them, look, you know what, there's no way that I can help you, no way that we can work together. If you're yelling and screaming, jumping up up and down, blowing things out of proportion, you need to go calm down first. All right, so then we can, you know, talk about this issue rationally. So you have a right to set boundaries with people so that, um, you know, you can work more effectively with them. But the other thing, again, is if, if I, I can't 
calm somebody down, but I can make statements that can help the individual calm themselves down. And one of the most important things, and we fail to do this all the time, one of the, the most important things that people are looking for in life is to be acknowledged. Sometimes when somebody is upset about something, they don't want you to fix the problem. They know that you can't do it or maybe it's not your responsibility. But they want to at least have their feelings acknowledged. And how many times do we say things like, you have no right to be angry, or what's your problem, or there's something wrong with you. You've got a real problem with anger. People don't want to be judged. They want to be acknowledged. So if I say, wow, you, you really seem upset about this, why don't we go grab a cup of coffee, let's sit down and see if we can talk about this. If there's anything I can do to help you, let me know what that is. That's the second step. It's acknowledging where they're at and then letting them know that you genuinely care about them and you are willing to do whatever you can to assist them in getting this issue resolved. I mean, those are two really critical steps to take that can help to calm an individual down. I mean, they do the calming down themselves, but we can offer them an incentive by acknowledging them and then letting them know that we are there to assist them in whatever way we can. I think that that's, that's really great, and I agree that, you know, especially if we go back to some of those core principles that you mentioned um, there is some sort of acknowledgement that's being needed. You know, they need to acknowledge, they need somebody to acknowledge the fact that they're hurting or that they're afraid or that they, you know, are frustrated over something. They need somebody to understand that. And, right. Um, and most of the reason why they're in that space is because they're not getting that to start with. So, right. you know, Absolutely. the is such a a huge, huge piece of things. Maybe you can explain. I mentioned when, before I brought you on and I was, you know, sharing some of the thoughts there about depersonalizing things. What is it about that depersonalizing that makes such a big difference? Well, that's one of the critical mistakes that we all make is that we take personal offense to what other people are saying and doing. And that's really an indication of self-esteem. I mean, you know, people who take personal offense, you know, everybody gets criticized at some point in their life. And people love to disguise criticism by saying that it's constructive. It really isn't because <laughs> criticism is, is intended to focus on, you know, uh, a, a negative aspect of that individual or what it is that they're doing. So there's really nothing constructive that comes out of it. I, I like constructive suggestions better than so-called constructive criticism. But when we take personal offense, it's typically a sign that, you know, we, uh, our self-esteem isn't really strong enough. Because when I truly know myself and I feel confident with who I am, then I can acknowledge my weaknesses, my imperfections, my flaws. That doesn't, I, I don't feel threatened when somebody else recognizes them as well. So, it's really important, you know, and again, to understand that the other person's behavior is a reflection of them. It has nothing at all to do with me. 
but there may be something that that person is saying, something that they may see in me or something that they may be aware of or something, you know, that that I'm not aware of that may benefit me as well. And I, I remember years ago when I first started working with battered women almost 20 years ago, I one of the things that I did at the shelter was that I ran um, – anger management groups that were court-ordered. So the women were, uh, they, it, it was mandatory that they attended, and none of them were happy to be there. But there was a, a young girl who was attending the anger management, and she had, well, she had an issue with everybody. She was a very, very troubled child. And she made some very rude comments to me one night, and but I was very professional, and I just said to her, no, I'm sorry, but you're mistaken in your observation of me. And she said, no, I'm not. And so I got in my car to drive home, and as I'm driving home, I'm seething, right? Like, how dare she be so rude, that arrogant little kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was going through the whole thing. And then I interrupted myself, and I said, well, hold on a second, Janet. Why are you taking personal offense to this? Why don't you look at what she's saying and see if, in fact, there is any truth there? Because if there is, then I'll learn something about myself, which I'm going to benefit from. And if, in fact, I look at it and there is no truth, then there's no harm done. So I, you know, took a deep breath, and I started thinking about what she had said. And all of a sudden it occurred to me that she was picking up on something inside of me that I was in denial about. And once I recognized that, then I had to make a decision. Can I accept that this is a part of who I am and be at peace with it, or is this something that I need to change? So, in fact, her, you know, statement towards me ended up being a great gift because had it not been for her, I would have been living with this denial inside of me. So when we, we take personal offense, because sometimes because we don't want to face the truth about ourselves, this person is triggering something within us that we are in denial about, and yet in truth, if we face it, it's not going to destroy us. It's going to give us a great opportunity to do something with it to either overcome it or to accept it, whatever that is. So a lot of that taking personal offense has to do with how we feel about ourselves, people who really are truly comfortable with who they are and understand that, you know, uh, there are things about myself I still don't like, I still have to work on them, but if you see them, I'm, I'm aware of them, I'm okay with that, then they don't, you know, they don't react as strongly when somebody, you know, makes a comment about them. Well, and I think, too, in that process of depersonalizing, you you showed a great deal of how that applies to us, and I've gotten in that habit now of when things come around that are hard to deal with, to be grateful and go, you know, thank you for this opportunity to to clear this from my mm-hmm. life. Um but then with other people as well, uh, I find in, in depersonalizing things, it, it diffuses them because when we make it personal, oftentimes we feel like we're under attack. Um, you know, if somebody says, you did this, right? It, you feel attacked by that, and that, of course, triggers our fears and our self-worth aspects and 
we're hurt, and then the anger comes out uh, from that. So to keep saying you, 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 uh, one where I don't think we're owning our part of it, too, I think that, uh, you know, we're aggravating the situation by feeding whatever the underlying root cause is. Right, absolutely. And you had mentioned that before, and I thought that was a really critical point to touch upon, is that when we use the word you, and, and I, just, I just spoke at a, a human resource conference on Tuesday in Atlantic City, and I did a, a program called the 15-Minute Conflict Resolution Solution, and I actually addressed using the word you, that the only time it really uh, is advantageous if it's followed by a compliment, you know, like, you know, you always try your hardest or you are such a dependable person or you have such a kind heart. But when we use it in an accusatory way, yes, the other person feels as though they're being attacked. And it's natural. That's a fight, fight or fight response. We will either retreat away from that person, withdraw into ourselves, or we will fight back. It's a self-preservation thing. So it's really important, and if we feel as though somebody's constantly throwing the, you know, the you word at us, again, I have a right to say, you know what, this is starting to feel like I'm under attack here, so how about if we change the nature of this conversation and eliminate that word you and just talk about your own experience? You know, well, you know, like you were saying, you had given a, a great example that if somebody says something, you can say, well, you know, when I hear those words, this is how it affects me or this is how I feel about it. So you're talking from a personal perspective, and it's not about the other person. It's about your own personal experience. So you remove that, the whole dynamic of, you know, adversary, you know, against, you know, adversary, and, and you can develop a more um, compatible relationship where two people can actually work together and try to get, you know, to a deeper understanding or try to get an issue resolved. But you're you're absolutely correct. I mean, that's that's a very sensitive word to throw around, and people have really have to know how to use that um, in a way that that benefits both parties and doesn't make or or doesn't imply that the other party is at fault. I so agree, and I I think when we can. Just take that responsibility and instead of saying, hey, you're making this really difficult for me, saying, I'm really struggling with doing it this way. Perfect can example. We, can we do it differently? You know, yeah. do I have an option? Um, or can you show me how to get comfortable with this method? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, those sorts of things. And, and there's... For me, I found it to be very empowering to take that responsibility and to own it and to say, I'm uncomfortable with this. I am not liking what's happening here, and I would like to change it. Right, Um, right. 
And I, I think that that's a perfect example. And then because very often when an individual feels under attack, they'll turn around and attack back. And then, of course, the, the situation only gets worse. But that's a great way of diffusing it. Because, and that's, that's really a key point. I mean, we have to – there are words and phrases that we can use that are very inflammatory. It's like throwing gasoline on a fire. You want to use – what I call like the antidote to anger. If somebody's upset, if somebody's angry, if somebody's accusatory, you respond with the exact opposite. You respond with understanding. You respond with compassion. You respond with solutions or alternatives. You don't attack back with more of the same because it makes no sense at all. And we all know from past experience that the situation's only going to escalate. And our role is to always be that of a peacemaker. How can I diffuse this situation, return it to a place of peace and safety for all parties, and then once we feel as though this is a safe environment to be in, now we can work together as allies and try to resolve whatever these differences are. It's really the most effective way and the easiest way to do it. But it means that you have to leave your ego <laughs> out of the whole process because the ego will get involved and go, no, 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 that one's getting away with too much. And if you don't, you know, if you don't, you know, really put the pressure on, they're going to take advantage of you and you're going to end up losing. And so we really have to just remove ego and let spirit take over and say, how can I restore peace and, and safety to this situation? And once I do that, then we can work together as allies. Absolutely, and and I think that that's the key because especially when you're in fear or pain or frustration, you're really looking for an ally, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. You're already feeling <laughs> yes, isolated. You're looking for that ally connection there, and so I'm so glad that you brought that up. Do you have any suggestions for those people that just, don't want to let go of their anger. They're just really, really difficult <laughs> to deal with. And by gosh, they're going to hold on to that anger no matter what. Well, yeah, and it's you know what? It's so funny that you asked that because I, at the conference on Tuesday, I had a gentleman ask me the exact same question. You know, he was in human resource, so he deals with with clients all the time and he said I've got this one guy he says he's just angry about everything he said I don't know how to get through to him and I said why don't you say something to him like this because I find that this works about 99% of the time I will look at an individual and I will say to them you don't seem happy and you know what you deserve so much better than what you've got right now and they'll look at you like like nobody ever said that to me before. People are usually, you know, commenting about I'm too angry, I don't get along well with people, I've got issues, blah, 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 blah. But when I look at people, and because I really feel this from my heart, I look at them and I see how miserable and unhappy they are, and that's what I focus on. You just don't seem happy, and you deserve happiness in your life. And they'll look at me and, and it'll make them think, and then from there, then we can start talking about what do you need to change in your life to bring about more happiness. Again, we don't discuss the anger because people don't want to talk about that. Anger gives them a sense of power, and people are hesitant to relinquish that 
sense of authority because then they're afraid that other people are going to hurt them or cheat them or ignore them or abuse them or whatever that is. So that anger keeps them in that sense of, uh, of, of power and control, which is all an illusion, uh, but it makes them feel powerful. And, so, and, th- and that was the case with my abuser. He could not, and he said to me, he says, I can't let go of this anger. He said, if I do, he said, somebody's going to end up hurting me. And it was just, it was tragic, but that's a, that's a method of self-protection. And so you don't address that. You address issues of happiness, or you don't seem at peace. You seem stressed out. Like, you, you know, would you like to feel more relaxed? You come in from it. Again, from the back door, you take a different approach, and you can and you can get you know better results with them because they're not they're not afraid that you're going to try to take something away from them that that right now they think they're dependent on. That's such a good point because you know they're they're clinging on to that for some sense of security, even if it's a false security that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of brings it back full circle to where you were mentioning it comes back to acknowledging the emotion. Yeah. And it comes back to acknowledging them as a person and what's happening and that they're genuinely struggling with something. Yeah. And they're, which is a very caring approach. And when people care about us, then we're, we tend to drop our, our anger Level oh down yeah, yeah. Quite a bit. You let you let the guard down. I mean, in the 15 years that I worked with battered women, these weren't just women that were being abused. These were women who were also abusers. They were violent. They were filled with hate and bitterness. Um, they, this was a really really tough group of women to deal with. And over the course of 15 years, I dealt with thousands of them. And do you know that I had a near-perfect success rate in gaining their cooperation? And the number one reason was because I truly cared about them. And they knew it. They knew it from the get-go that Janet cares and you can trust her with your life. I still, I, you know, I, I still have women from years ago call me or, or message me on Facebook about how they they know that I am somebody that they can come to because I I took the time, because I really honestly do care about them. I see these women who are so miserable and so unhappy and their lives are so destructive, and it's all because of the choices that they're making. And the other, you know, people that they deal with just don't want to be bothered with them and they criticize them and they they really, they'll do the minimum for them. But the minute you show somebody that you genuinely care and that there's nothing in it for you. It's not that I care about you because then you can do something for me. So I just care about you because I think you're a beautiful person inside. They will let their guard down, and that's when you can begin to work with them. And then you can see the changes that they can make in their lives. So it's, it's such an amazing experience when you go through a process like that. I, I definitely agree uh to see that transformation or that shift happen for somebody is so rewarding to experience uh, along yeah. the way. And, you know, in, in talking about that where, you know, maybe other people have given up along the way on them because, you know, they've looked at it and they said, oh, there they are, they're in another one of their moods, they're, you know, yeah. they're just 
all the time, and I'm tired of dealing with this. But uh, you know, why why would it be important then with all of this to to pay attention to anger and not just write it off as that passing mood? Because I think a lot of people do that. They go, oh, they're just in another one of those phases. It'll blow over. Well, you know, I, I I truly believe that our life is a series of personal choices. And whether we choose to be angry in the moment or we choose to be happy or we choose to be bitter or, or spiteful, you know, all of that impacts the person that we become and the direction that our life takes. It all becomes a part of our history. And so we really have to be careful because, you know, one bad choice can change your life forever. You get angry one time with the wrong person under the wrong set of circumstances, and people have been killed in situations like that. So it's, you know, we we really have to learn to love ourselves enough and value ourselves enough that we're only willing to give ourselves what is absolutely best. And the anger and the, and the bitterness and everything that goes along with that is not benefiting us. Yes, if you feel angry, you have to acknowledge it. It's there for a reason. But then you don't want to dwell on it. You don't want to use it to harm yourself or, or to, you know, create additional problems in your life. So a lot of this really has to do with self-love. It's about loving yourself enough to only make smart choices. And, you know, even though we may not think in the moment that it's any big deal, collectively all of the poor choices that we make are going to catch up to us at some point. Well, and I love that you brought some of those points up, right, because it brings me around to the aspect that a lot of people that I know that hold on to their anger, it's like that's their realm of excuses for being a victim, and mm-hmm. and so it allows them to stay in those victim pa- patterns, which is really, I think, maybe all about getting attention, which comes back a lot the of way it is to give them the attention to start yep. with. They realize yeah. that they don't, you know, have to go to anger to get the attention. Right. Well, attention feels like love, and negative attention. You know, negative behavior guarantees that you're going to get somebody's attention. So it makes you feel as though you have value, that you are important to somebody on some level. Problem is is that it's very negative. So putting ourselves in the role of victim um, is done either, you know, to, to get that attention or to get out of responsibility. You know, victims very often, you know, oh, well, poor thing, she's had such a rough life. No, 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 don't, don't make her do that. I'll, I'll take care of it for you. So it also gets us out of responsibility, but one of my favorite quotes is by the Dalai Lama, and he says that there are no victims in life. There are only students. You know, my life, I'm not, I never refer to myself as a victim of domestic violence or a victim of divorce. I was a student of those experiences, and on some level, the choices that I made in my life brought me into those relationships and into those experiences. So I made a choice to marry a man who was not capable of being faithful and and being committed for a lifetime. So was I a victim of divorce? No, I was a student of divorce. I participated in a marriage with somebody who was not 
mature enough to sustain that marriage for a lifetime. Same thing with the domestic violence. I chose to get involved with somebody who had a history of violence in his life who then began to take that anger and and that, you know, that rage out on me, and I chose to stay for a period of several years. So I wasn't a victim of domestic violence. I was a student. I participated in the relationship. I made the choices to enter that relationship. I made the choices to participate in it, and I made a choice to leave. So on what level, level am I a victim? A victim is one without power. I have power. I have I have intellect and I have free will. I have the ability to understand the situation and I have the ability to make a decision as to whether or not I'll be a part of that or not. So I'm not a victim. I'm a student. I, you know, e- even in those situations that maybe I didn't consciously choose to be in, I still made choices along the way that brought me to that point in my life for a very specific reason. So I don't, you know, I I have never felt victimized in my entire life, and I don't allow any of my clients to put themselves in that position. I say, if you want want to be a victim, then I am the wrong person for you to be talking to. I said, because you made personal choices, and this isn't about blame. This is about ownership. This is about asking yourself, why did I make the choices that I made? And what am I supposed to learn from these choices now? And then what am I supposed to do with them? How do I take what I have learned and use it in my own life to benefit me, but then also to benefit all of humanity, not just myself, but all of humanity? How can I take so? I mean, I I would not be doing the work that I'm doing today had I not been a survivor of divorce and and domestic violence and everything else that I've been through. That was all a necessary part of my journey. In fact, those were some of my greatest gifts that I've ever received. So I'm not a victim. I was a student. I learned. I grew. I benefited. It's just been a win-win for me all the way around. You know, I, I sincerely believe that a lot of times when we feel like we're a victim, it's just because we don't like our options or the results of our choices. Yes. <laughs> yep, yep, good good point. <laughs> good point. You know, it's you know, sometimes the options that we have at hand in a moment aren't any that we think we like. And right. uh you brought in that responsibility. I mean it it seems like you know, as we learn to to handle our anger there's there's just so many other life skills that go hand in hand with that. Mhm. But but I, I like you know, I like what you said is that so many times people will say, Well I had no choice. You know, yeah you had a choice. You didn't have the set of choices that you were looking for, but you always have options. They're always available. Even if you say, my choice is not to choose. I'm going to let you decide. Okay, then I'll make that decision. That's your choice. You know, but we don't have that perfect set of, you know, ideals. You know, I want this three-carat diamond ring or the, you know, two-carat diamond ring with the blue sapphires around it. Those are my two perfect choices. But I didn't get that choice. I got a choice of, you know, glass or cubic zirconium. You know, so, well, I didn't have a choice. Yes, you did. You have a choice of picking one of the options that's available to you or picking nothing. You know, or do we, there's always options available to us. 
But then we put ourselves in that role of victim. Well, I had no choice. I had to do this. You know, it was the only thing that, well, then that that is your choice. Right, right, exactly. And, and uh, yeah, so, and I think that sometimes when we, we do choose, you know, the path is going to be hard and at times and challenging at times, but it comes back to some of the points we made earlier about how are you going to harness the reins of your life? Are you going to yeah. sit there and be angry because of feeling pressured to take this option? Or are you going to say, well, let's make it a journey. Let's find out what this can give to me. Let's find out what I can do with this and and harness those reins of opportunity. Yeah, and you know that's uh, it. One of the things that really triggers our anger more so than anything else is this illusion that life is supposed to be fair. You know, somewhere along the line, we got this idea in our head that life should be fair. Well, if I do good, then good things should come to me. If I'm respectful towards people, they should be respectful to me. If I work hard at my job, I should get the promotion. I should get the raises. Blah blah blah. We have all of these expectations about fairness and yet in truth life isn't fair you know good things come into our life not so good things come into our life sometimes things work out the way we wanted sometimes they don't it's that way for every single individual there is not one person in this world that I have ever known or ever heard of whose life played out exactly the way they anticipated, that they were always treated justly, that nothing ever went awry, you know. Um, So life is what it is. It's up to you to make the best of it. But here's the thing, because I, I actually did a whole radio show on this, and I don't remember when it was it probably was last year sometime but uh, my my radio show anger 911 I did a show called it's not fair and so I addressed this whole issue because this is one of the reasons why we get so angry is because well that's not fair you know I helped you out I helped you when you were moving now you should be helping me when I'm moving Um, so we expect that fair means exact and equal it doesn't but here's the thing that I've come to understand that even though I just said that life isn't fair, life is exactly fair because we get exactly what we need to become the person that we, were, that we are supposed to be and to fulfill our divine destiny in life. So everything that I need in life is exactly what will be given to me. So in essence, my life is exactly fair for me. It may be very, very different for my sisters, they may have more than I have, they may have better things than I have, whatever it is, their life is exactly fair for them, even though it is on a different level than mine is. So in essence, we can sit and be angry that life isn't fair because we we measure what our life looks like against what we think it should look like and what other people's lives look like, when in essence, every individual's life is exactly fairly designed for them and again once i understand that then i don't need to be jealous of others i don't need to be upset when things don't go my way because i know that everything that's here everything that is yet to come everything that i have already experienced is exactly what i needed i think that that's such a huge step to get to um Mm -hmm. 
for a lot of people, and I think that when we yeah. are feeling life isn't fair, that's a big time for us to to do that, pausing and thinking and, you know, to take that walk or whatever, because usually wrapped up in that thought pattern, at least from my experience, is that we're holding on to a lot of judgment of how life oh, should yeah. be, what we're living by other people's standards, and what we think we're supposed to be doing based on the outer world instead of just focusing on us. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, is that we do, you know, form a lot of judgments based on what society tells us we should be doing or what we should look like or how we should feel. Or So we really have to learn how to disconnect from all of that and not allow ourselves to be influenced by all of it and rather choose the path that most aligns with our beliefs and our intentions in life, regardless of how different they are. I'll I'll tell you, I have my oldest son, um, almost nine years ago, packed up his things and moved to Hawaii. And the family was like, oh, my God, you can't do that. You don't know anybody out there. You don't have a job, blah, 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 blah. You can't give up your life here and your family and everything else. He went, he pursued his dream in life. This kid is happy as a clam. He has a wonderful life. He is living authentically. He is living the way he wants to live. Extremely simple lifestyle, not caught up in all of the demands of what everybody else thinks his life should look like. He made a hard decision to follow his own path, and he has found his happiness in life. And so he's not influenced by his family or his friends or society who says, but yeah, but by this stage in your life, you should be at this level. He's doing what is best for him. And so if we can learn to live that same way, not allowing others or society to dictate what we should look like or what we should be doing at certain stages in our life or who we should be with, We'll we'll be able to live more authentically and we'll find that peace because we don't have that conflict inside of us of, well, this is how I really want to live my life, but oh, I don't think my family's going to approve or how am I going to be judged by society? It's just living authentically, disconnecting from all of that and not using that as your gauge for what success or for what a happy life looks like. I'm so glad that you brought that up, that authenticity piece, because uh, it always takes somebody to be the first in a group of people to live authentically. And oftentimes, Mm -hmm. many other people around looking to live that authenticity, and until they have somebody else in their sphere doing it, they don't give themselves the permission to also live authentically. Right. You know, they need those examples. We need those examples in the world of people that so that other people can walk out of, you know, their programming and live the life that's important to them and see that, indeed, you'll be okay if you live your own authentic lifestyle. Um, Right. And that's really finding that peace within yourself, you know, which to me – you know, there's there's a lot of cliches that people form their lives after, and one of them is that 
You know, if you have your health, you have everything. But I know healthy people that are miserable. And then I know people who have real a lot of health problems and they're happy as a clam. But I really believe that when you have inner peace, you have all that you will ever need. But that inner peace, in part, in a huge part, comes from being authentic, from being comfortable with who you are, from not allowing other people to try to control you or tell you how you should feel or how you shouldn't feel or, or what you should be doing with your life, to follow your path that feels comfortable and true to you. And, you know, I've always, I, I always kid around and I say, someday I should just write my autobiography and I'm going to entitle the book Square Peg in a Round Hole <laughs> because I have felt like, like I've never really fit in in this life. Like I've always felt like I don't belong in this world because I'm very, very different and I've always been met with a lot of resistance. People always trying to squeeze me into a box of what I should look like and what my life should look like. And now I'm at a stage where I'm just so comfortable with who I am and what my life is all about. Like I'm not affected by that anymore. But, um, but we, we tend to do that, and you will never find peace. And, in fact, you will be highly frustrated, which will lead to anger and discontent and misery. You will never find that peace within yourself if you cannot be true to who you are. So that, to me, that's really, that's one of the biggest keys to alleviating a lot of the anger inside of us is not concerning ourselves with, what, with what's going on externally, with what other people are saying or doing, but to really find out who we are and then to pursue that path that we were meant to travel. You know, I think you just summed things up beautifully. <laughs> Right there that. Um, we are running out of time. So I would love for you to share quickly anything that you have going on, how people can contact you, um, all of that good stuff that they need to know. Okay. Well, the uh, best way to learn more about me and what I'm doing is to go to my website, PfeifferPowerSeminars.com, and that's P-F. E-I-F-F-E-R, PfeifferPowerSeminars.com. If you scroll down to the bottom of the home page, you'll see a link that says um, speaking engagements. So I have a lot of events that are open to the general public this fall um, at different community schools and, and health centers and things like that. So if you want to come hear me speak, my calendar of events is listed on my website, and I would just really like to invite people to listen to both of my radio shows, actually, Anger 911, which airs live every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. on anger911.net, and then it's globally syndicated on iHeart Radio, so you can go to iHeart.com and you can listen to any of the podcasts there. And then my other show, which is a series of mini-podcasts, it's called Between You and God, between you and God, and that is available on iHeart.com as well. Each week I write and produce five new shows, so they're all listed there as well. And then, of course, any of my books um, are listed on my website, PfeifferPowerSeminars.com. Just click on the Products tab, and you can purchase The Secret Side of Anger, The Great Truth, or any of my other books as well. And all my contact information is there, my website, my phone number, uh, my email, all of that. 
So I, I want to thank you so much, Jesse. This is a great, great show. I had a wonderful time. I think we really covered a lot of important information. I, I really agree, and I appreciate your time because I know my show is longer than other people's show in general. And, um, yeah, I just I love this format because it gives us that opportunity to go a little more in-depth and to, to oh, share yeah. a little bit, blow the topic through. So I'm in deep appreciation of what you shared because I think not only is this a very, very important topic, but it's something that people – need information-wise as they're going into the holidays, as they're going into time of year that's stressful, that triggers a lot of emotions. And so I think what you've shared is going to be very useful for a lot of people. I think so, too. And, again, it's it's been my pleasure spending this time with you today, Jesse. And thank you so much for all of the work that you do because there's people that really need to hear your message as well, and I think you're really making a huge impact in this world. So I, for one, thank you, and I'm sure that there are, are thousands and thousands of other people as well that appreciate what you do for them. Well, thank you so much. And next week on the show, I'm going to be running my own show again. Um, you're going to find that, you know, more and more I'm going to be alternating between my own shows and having guests on. And I'm going to be talking about the codes for the dark night of the soul and what that entails and what that's about and how those codes come together. So it's going to be an interesting thing to delve into. And, you know, what does that coding the coding of that experience tell us and why is it such a strong part of many people's spiritual path or passage. Um, also, I am on the True North Tour as we speak. I am coming to you from the uh, Virginia area near Washington, D.C. right now, and I have a great event coming up this Sunday, which you can check out um, through my events and on my website with Jim and Ashley Cash, and I'm also taking private appointments and then after I leave here this weekend, I will be headed on up near the Boston area in Westford, Massachusetts, to the Aquarius Sanctuary, where I'll also be taking private appointments. I'll be doing a sap song event and doing a healing event there. So you can um, still take part in that as well. Uh, all of my books are out. You can find them on my webpage. And also I want to mention the book that I am a co-collaborator on is also uh, coming out here is starting in November, and um, and that's in motion, and that is embraced by the divine. So watch for that. I'll have more stuff coming up on that as well. And uh, you can just check out all the work I'm doing, the blog posts, the videos that I put up, follow where I'm at, all of those things um, through my website, again, Jesse Ann Nichols George. And October special deal, by the way, that is receiving a grid with the base code interpretation for $330. It's a savings of $58, so it's a great time to take advantage of that. If you go over to the website, you'll be able to get more information. It's right there on the home page. Don't forget, we've got several shows here on Main Street Universe, and uh, we still have Susan Weed, which is doing her show, by the way, on Tuesday nights. Janice is going to be picking up with some stuff on Wednesdays or Thursday nights, and... Um, Susan, of course, does all the work in herbs and natural plants. And then Kevin Baird has been back on, and he show with his new companion, which I interviewed him on, and, uh, and you can learn more about that through my archived shows. 
Hey, this is Jesse and Nichols George, and I want to thank you so much for being here today. And thanks to all of our listeners, not only on Blog Talk Radio, but those streaming live through Penn, known as Parent Encounters Network, Stream Finder, and Talk Stream Live, and those catching our podcast at iTunes, TuneIn.com, and those catching the YouTube version of our show. I look forward to seeing you back here next week as we delve more into code connection. And don't forget, if you've enjoyed my show today, share it with others. It's going to be available at the same link in our archives. And I'm going to leave you with the song Yearning For, also known as Over and Over by Shemshai. And again, if you'd like to check out more of Shemshai's work, they've had some new things coming out. So on their website, www.shemshai.com, and that's S-H-I-M-S-H-A-I.com, and I'm in deep appreciation for them allowing me to continue to use their music on the show as well. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on Code Connection. May you enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a truly amazing week. And if I could see what makes me blind I would soar to the edge of my mind And to touch what seems unreal Just to show you the way that I feel we are in time with time One with season of change inside And we are in tune with the tune Caught in a balance of sun and moon Oh, deep inside The light within Shining
Over and over, life is yours. 